0: Radio your gamers radiocom
1: Well, well, what have we here? Welcome to the wonders of Thetas. Welcome to the Wonders of Thetas Podcast. We are a one-stop shop for all your Dragon Age role-playing game needs. My name is Ren.
0: And I'm Jessica.
1: Welcome to another exciting episode, episode forty-three.
0: Hmm. Sorry so, about the uh, late drop this time, guys.
1: Hmm. That's a yeah. You know, things came up. Things came up. Yep. But you know, had we're to here. postpone. But we're still here. We still got our super cool episode for you. We're really excited. We had another poll uh, to talk about to ask folks what they wanted to hear about. This time we were t- covering backgrounds, specifically backgrounds of people from Ferelden. And the winner by a huge margin, and... No kidding. I'm not surprised why, is the Avar.
0: Yeah. Y'all really like the Avar.
1: It's true. And, you know, after reading up on them again, I completely understand why. They're really, really cool culture.
0: They will be plenty of fun to talk about.
1: So. Yes, so, before we get into that, we're going to make a quick shout out to our friends in the D20 Radio Network. Uh, the Dice Pool Podcast has done an episode about Fantasy Flight's narrative dice system. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to get into Fantasy Flight Star Wars or create your own campaign setting for their new Genesis rulebook, we recommend this episode to get you into the quirky nature of the narrative dice system.
0: Yeah, we've done a little bit of uh, the new mm-hmm. Star Wars stuff. Yeah. It's and
1: it's, it's interesting. It takes, It's
0: definitely interesting. Yeah.
1: It definitely takes some getting used to. And I definitely have, like, gotten the little digital die roller app to help me Mm -hmm. count everything out, but...
0: It's cool. Yeah. It's it's, a lot of fun. Yeah.
1: Definitely recommend it. So, be sure to check out the Dice Pool podcast, because they talk about the Narrative Dice system they talk about specifically, more of like a Genesis podcast, so Narrative Dice, but without the Star Wars. So definitely Mm -hmm. check them out. I think that's episode three. They're trucking along with us. So... I think we've got to talk a little bit about what's going on this week in Thetis.
0: Oh yeah, there's stuff to talk about.
1: Mm -hmm. So, welcome to This Week in Thetis. You aren't worried I'll just make it up as I go. Not at all. You'll need to hear the whole story. We have some news to share with you folks. Real news. Mm Mm-hmm. Green Ronin's latest Ronin Roundtable has a bi- uh, blog has an update with regards to a plethora of games, uh, specifically Age games, including Dragon Age's latest book, The Faces of Thedas. Chris Pramus, the game's main creator, has mentioned that several Age-themed games are slated to begin release in the first six months of two thousand eighteen. Dragon Age: Faces of Thedas is now done and in the layout phase. Uh, soon it should be sent to the printers, and we should have a new Dragon Age source book in our hands.
0: It's pretty friggin'
1: mm-hmm. exciting. Now, uh, by this point, that would mean that the text for the book is all finished because mm-hmm. they've gotten all the OKs from Bioware. Uh, then they have to OK all the art, and then they just have to have folks lay out lay it out to make the book look good. So we are expecting, we are suspecting that we can expect it within the next two or three months. Amazon lists it as an April tenth release, but we'll keep you informed. We also thought we should take this uh, moment to add that this month marks the eighth year of Dragon Age as a tabletop role-playing game. Really? Yeah.
0: See, that I didn't even know.
1: 2010 Wikipedia says January 25th. That's the that's the only closest thing to a date I've gotten, so.
0: Game is slightly older than our relationship. Slightly. Like a month.
1: Yeah. I, yeah actually, almost exactly a month. Yeah. There we go.
0: There you go. How about that? Fun so fact I guess about that's right. the Wonders of podcast It's
1: just been there all along, I guess. Yes. So, that's some cool news. Yeah, that's exciting stuff. Super
0: juiced. It's we'll, gonna be great.
1: We'll be keeping our ears to the ground for you all and letting you all know what's going on. Uh, but for now, why don't we go ahead and consult our codex? You can ask me questions if you like. I'm not sure why you'd want to, but oh, good. Thank you. I'm going to regret this, aren't I? Welcome to the Codex. We've only got a couple questions to handle this time, but we've got a lot to talk about in the main topic. So, first question uh, is a good one from Parcival on the Green Running Forums. Thank you again for the question, as always. Of course. Have you ever flirted with using critter type Dragon Age 2 foes who just take a hit or two to take down? How would you deal with a large number of critter type enemies, Gasts, for example? Could the cave beetle swarm idea be modified? And I'm I'm personally in favor as a GM of critter type enemies because they make uh, like enemies that you just put around to make the ba- to make the battle look really big, but mm-hmm. they only take a couple hits to take down, and they're really dangerous because of their numbers as opposed to their individual combat ability. Because oh, yeah. eventually one of them is gonna get an a- get a get a couple swipes on on you, or even several of them might get a lot of small swipes, which start to add up after a while.
0: It's true. Unless you have a ridiculous armor rating.
1: Unless you have a ridiculous armor rating. Which, you know... Alora. Alora, In which case, your critters are probably going to be a bit more impressive once we are you know, you're, like, 19th level like we are. Mm-hmm. But, uh... Yeah, I
0: like that idea. I do think it makes things bigger. We had some mm-hmm. of that in one of our more recent games mm-hmm. when we were sort of fighting a bit of a giant battle. Yes. And had to deal with a great number of uh, critter-type
1: mm-hmm. things. There was, uh, I believe, a necromancer who was control who was animating an awful lot of skeletons.
0: It was an awful lot of skeletons.
1: So while they were critters, perhaps to the 18th level character, they also had a very small NPC friend who had uh, followed along because they wanted to impress.
0: Yep. And so we, it, it, it got complicated, and the critters definitely provided an interesting uh, mm-hmm. issue for us to deal with.
1: Now, the Cave Beetle Swarm is interesting because it's a single stat block that, is tri- that represents a very large number of small creatures.
0: Now, see, this might just be because I've had so many experiences with them as a player, mm-hmm. but I got issue with swarms in general. <laughs> uh-huh. Like, swarms and things like them, like troops, just have a tendency to kind of cheese me off. Like I
1: mean... That's fair. There's definitely... So I'd be interested to
0: see how this would be brought into Dragon Age.
1: Definitely. Uh, I I actually have been hearing that the Fantasy Age Companion may have some suggestions on minion-type enemies.
0: Hmm.
1: So we'll see where that goes. We'll probably talk about the Fantasy Age Companion when it comes out, even though it's not Dragon Age-specific, because this is all really modular. What can we steal from it to use for Dragon Age? Uh, so, the cave beetle swarm idea could be modified, especially considering that we have examples in other games, I mean, we play a lot of Pathfinder, so we have examples of things like, and even in Saga, Saga Edition had things like squads, which was, <laughs> and in Dragon, and in Pathfinder, they called them troops, they're swarms of very large creatures, I mean large by the standards of what swarms usually are. So this usually means, like, a line of uh, troops who are all working together or a collection of stormtroopers who are all operating as a unit.
0: Well, see, I think that's where critter rules are better. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, you've probably got some people who like to do damage to a lot of different things at once, Mm -hmm. and boy, do they get hosed by things like swarm rules. like.
1: It can get tricky, because I believe that Cave Beetle Swarm has that ability called Swarm Defense, where any physical attack just deals one point of damage to it. If you get a Mighty Blow Stunt, it does two points of damage. If you get a Lethal Blow Stunt... Wait for it. Three points of damage. So that's fun. So you have to...
0: Sit over here and seethe.
1: You have to pretty much have a mage who can do like a Flame Blast or a Shock... Or something that hits multiple targets, or even have grenades that maybe that well, somebody brought.
0: Now, so. How many people have grenades, though? I'm sorry, but this those sort of enemies. We'll get on my soapbox for a second. Mm-hmm. Those sort of enemies, especially in Dragon Age, to have that be a ruling, mm-hmm. that's really dangerous for parties that don't have mages. Like yes. this is not like a magic is everywhere kind of world, it's and not. there's every chance that you'll have a party that doesn't have any mages, mm-hmm. and. Enjoyed doing your three damage to the thing over and over again. Too bad you have mm-hmm. no other options.
1: It could be good as like a hazard, as opposed to something you're actually supposed to fight and kill.
0: That I could see, but yeah, other mm-hmm. than that.
1: But I, as a GM, very much appreciate things like squads or troops. Or at Star Wars Saga Edition also had thing also had units, which was supposed to be like. Specific pieces in mass combat that, if brought into personal combat, you basically just took all their stats and multiplied them by 10. So it. it gave you guys the chance to fight a ballroom full of stormtroopers and can't see, keep it kind of dangerous, but keep going. So there are good things and bad things about both of these. Critters yes. are fun because the players get to feel really cool, you know, especially if get they to get kill a bunch like of lightning attacks and dual strikes. They get to swing the sword and take down three guys at once or throw a kick in one direction and a sword and, and Wrath another Wrath of the one. Elven. Wrath of the Elven. Pull all these folks in and just start, like, know, dragging them into the earth or something because that's nice and creepy. Kind crazy. of. Um, the downside of that, though, is that then you know, the GM has to keep track of all of those critters. It's easier with critters because we can just assume that they have enough hit point they have low enough hit points that an attack that does damage enough to maybe like bypass their armor takes them down. But that is then especially if you've got a lot of them, even if they all go at the same time, that's a lot of attack rolls for you to roll as a GM. Yeah it so it can be a bit of extra, especially if they're not like critter like. Or if they're you know slightly above critters, so that maybe they take like one or two hits, then you have to keep track of health values, and especially if they're spellcasters, then you have to keep track of their mana. Um, so it can get it can get very bookkeepy if you've got a lot of critters, but it can be very satisfying for the players if if that works for them. Yes. Um, the flip side of that, of course, being things like swarms or troops or squads. Uh, you can, as a GM, you can have the PCs fight a lot of enemies, but only have one stat block to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that can make it really, uh, that can make it much easier for you as a GM, but for players who are particularly good at swatting lots of people all at once, it sort
0: of takes the thing that they built right. themselves to do, and
1: you might need kind to of
0: ruins it for right. them.
1: In some cases, you can probably house rule it so that maybe they're like sweeping whirlwind attacks, but, <laughs> or their dual strikes, or their lightning attacks deal uh, more damage because they're hitting more foes, especially if the foes are big, like human-sized people, not, instead of just beetles. So you could perhaps work around that, but some players might not take it quite, and see so might not take it in as much stride as critters. So, something worth keeping in mind yeah. for both. Your examples.
0: mileage may vary with all of it. Yes, there's a place for
1: all of it. Yes, recommend trying both of them, seeing which one works best for you. Or if you want to get real fancy, have them both in the same encounter.
0: That just sounds confusing. That
1: sounds really confusing, but you know, sounds be cool. like the
0: worst of both worlds. <laughs> <laughs> like yes. the players get the things they don't want, and you still have a million stat blocks to deal with. Everyone's sad.
1: Everyone's sad. Don't do it then.
0: Maybe don't. Unless be- that sounds like fun for you. That's true. Don't cross the case, streams unless you it. want to, and then do it.
1: <laughs> don't cross the streams unless it sounds awesome. So thank you again, Parsival. Always good food for thought. The next question comes from Jeff Swingle through our email. Um, I believe this
0: question got answered. This
1: question actually kind of morphed after he asked it. Uh, the question was, uh, um, thank, first of all, thank you for answering my questions in the podcast. It helps a lot. I did talk to the player about of the potential blood mage, and we came to an understanding. Jeff asked, I think uh, we had a question last time, about mm-hmm. a blood mage in the party. Um, Jeff, ha- however, had the situation continue with saying, however... Since the warrior in our group has said he's thinking of taking the Templar specialization. I imagine having a Templar and a Maleficarum in the same group would lead to a lot of hurt feelings amongst the players. Again, I hate to dissuade players from playing the characters they want, but I feel that these two character archetypes just won't be able to get along. I'm yeah. trying to persuade the player of the warrior along a different path. Any tips? Should I also try to persuade the player of the mage to change? Thanks in advance. And to clarify... Jeff emailed me later after sending me this question, mentioning that the warrior in question decided to go with spirit warrior instead. So, ooh, dodged, dodged a crossbow bullet with that one. So nice. Crossbow bullet. Yes, crossbow. Yeah, that one. I tried. I tried. <laughs> you to dodged make, it. I tried to make it more specific. He didn't, specific, but you did. And I took the bullet instead. Uh, so, cool. No yeah, that potential would hurt have, feelings. That would have
0: been a nasty scene, but I'm imagining you're not the only one who have uh, experienced not.
1: this. This is definitely something worth talking about because it's
0: probably going to come up once or twice. Yep. I think, you know, again, your mileage is going to vary on how to handle it. Mm-hmm. It might be, you know, a couple of ways you could go about deciding. Obviously, you're probably going to, unless you have very specific characters, like, you know, a Templar, but... Who's dedicated to their duties, but the blood mage is like, that's my sibling. I can't turn them in. Like, mm. you'd have to have some sort of understood, like, open agreement about that. Yes. That that's yeah. how that's going to go. Otherwise, you are going to get in-party fighting, and it's probably going to get ugly, and the two of them are probably not going to be able to coexist.
1: Yes. Because those are two... Those are the two sides of the mage-templar war. That's just how it works.
0: And not, not necessarily... It's true. Rude.
1: Well, if they're both being very extreme, like, Templar is like, "Dude, see, mages are awful and should be kept in a box. And then the mage is like, Death to all the Templars! Blood!
0: Well, I mean, even if they're not, even if the mm. blood mage is as moderate as blood mages get, like, mm-hmm. I use this to help myself. I don't use it to hurt people. The Templar is still going to pretty much be like, Yeah, I have to kill you. I'm like sorry,
1: I have to now.
0: This is my job. This is, this is what literally I what I am told to do, like... But, uh, as to who to get to change, I think that would depend on the situation quite a bit. Like, you could do it based on, is this campaign gonna be better suited for Blood Mages or for Templars? Like,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which is gonna better fit the theme of your game? Mm-hmm. And barring that, if it's sort of either one, which one said they wanted to be a thing first? Like... Maybe give some priority to that person who went first. Or to the one who's really feeling it. If one's like, Mm. I wasn't really feeling it, then let them switch. And if they're both just like super into it and they did it at the same time and it's pretty equivalent, then just ask them both to change. Run two different games. Slam your head into a desk until somebody feels bad for you and changes their mind. Like. That's a rough one. That
1: is a rough one. Definitely, you'd want to talk to the players a lot and make sure that they understand the implications of them picking these two things. Yes, it's because those don't always go well, and they can bring about some very interesting role play if the character is in question or very understanding. But especially in ca- in some campaigns, especially ones that are like mage templar war campaigns,
0: mm-hmm.
1: that can- this this can be a really hot button issue.
0: Yeah. If you're doing anything during the Mage Templar War, you're going to have to have some very special characters in order to make them get along. In that case,
1: it's true. So oh,
0: good question, though. Be
1: very careful with those kinds of things, yes. Jeff. Jeff, we're glad that you don't have to deal with that this in this particular adventure. But yes,
0: we're very happy for you that that got resolved. Yes.
1: To all those of you who may not be that lucky, be very careful. Take each other's feelings into account and talk it out a lot. Yes. Make sure that everybody knows what's going on. And no one's being a jerk. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's, that's it. U- that's usually it. It's
0: really the long and short yeah, of it. That's all you
1: really need, really.
0: People want to be a jerk.
1: Yes. I mean, that'd be great. So... For those of you listening out there, if you have a question about the Dragon Age RPG, whether it's mechanics, build suggestions, questions about the lore, clarifications about old episodes, or anything else, send a message to Wonders of Podcast at gmail.com. Send it to us through our Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Google Plus, or SoundCloud accounts, or send a personal message to Kant the Protector or HealerPuff on the Green Onion Forums, or send a message to Kant Release on the D20 Radio Forums. That's us. Still us.
0: I mean, you can still send me stuff. I haven't checked in a long time. Maybe I should do that.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's it's been a while, I imagine, since you last checked. But yeah. it can hurt.
0: I got busy with this whole applying to grad school thing. Mm-hmm.
1: Grad school takes time. Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, I'm, it's, uh, hopefully no one's been waiting too long.
0: Yeah. Well, I figure they probably mostly message you. <laughs> what are they going to message me about? Can you be angry about things like, uh, tell me how angry you are about things that aren't elven mages. And I'll be like, so angry, you guys. Like, I mean, that's the conversation we'll have. So if you want to have that conversation, shoot me a message.
1: So angry. So we're going to skip the distant verses this time. We haven't got anything really to show just yet. But of course, if you've got something that you'd like to share, you can send it to all those places that we just mentioned. Yep. Uh, And, of course, all the things that we've already covered in our Dissonant Verses, which is our fan creation spotlight. You can check out those uh, archived in our resources for your game page on our blog, wondersathetispodcast.wordpress.com.
0: Check them out if you haven't. They're amazing. Check them out.
1: We've got a pretty big list. It's pretty proud of it. It's really cool. It is. Folks have made a lot of stuff.
0: You guys are incredible.
1: And not to mention, like, all the stuff that folks have just made for Fantasy Age. Because once Mm -hmm. we start getting into that, that is a deep well to plunge. I, I am ready. Mm-hmm.
0: I am very excited.
1: Not all of it works great for Dragon Age, but some of it could.
0: Also, Fantasy Age is just
1: great. Fantasy Age is also just cool. So, we've, we're have we at the foot of this mountain that we should probably climb. I knew you were going to
0: go for the mountain segue.
1: Uh-huh. Because we've got to uh, meet, and see, we've got to go meet the Avar.
0: Got to get into the spirit mm-hmm. of it. Yes. Because, you know, they have a lot mm-hmm. of spirit. Make wars. peace
1: with your gods, because this is the main topic for today. Is it fate or chance? I can never decide. Welcome to the main topic. So you're an avar. Turn okay. page fifteen of the core rulebook to see the background for yourself. We're talking about the Avar background today. So, what is an Avar? Uh, the Avar are relatives of modern Fereldans. They're a human ethnicity. They, mm-hmm. along with the Chasen and Chasened, and modern Fereldans, used to be one people, the Alamari. Although I don't, as I, I looked into it closer, they were all kind of separate already. Just the Alamari tribes was the general name given to all these tribes, the Avar, the mm-hmm. uh, the Chastened, and uh, what I actually found out modern Fereldans were called the Klain. Oh. But, the, so the Clane, the Chastened, and the Avar used to be kind of united under the same banner, although uh, still kind of independent of each other, having their own and lives. And the
0: Klain got all uppity.
1: Uh, things got weird, especially when Tevinter came along.
0: Well, everything always gets Hmm. weird
1: when winter comes. So, the Avar are the tough denizens of the Frostback Mountains in western Ferelden. Forged by the harsh life in the mountains, the Avar have a unique culture of respect for their clan and the spirits around them. They have their own gods and customs and rituals that would seem alien to others, or even anathema to Chantry hardliners. As an Avar, you come from the Frostback Mountains, and you belong to a hold. Your hold has a leader called a Thane, who makes decisions on behalf of all the needs of the hold. You also have a spiritual leader called an Augur, who speaks directly to the gods around you. You have a complex belief system of animism and respect. You have many traditions that have passed through your ancestors to you, and dozens of tiny rituals to appease your gods, the big ones and small ones. Very nice. So who in Dragon Age has this background? Pretty much anybody who's, who new. Who's, who it's obvious is an Avar. Just about all the NPCs in the Jaws of Hack and DLC for Inquisition, like Svara Sunhair and Gerd Harrifson.
0: I love Svara Sunhair.
1: She's so cool.
0: I love Svara Sunhair a lot.
1: She's anyone who gets great. that
0: name by having their hair be on fi- fire and can't not being able to be bothered to put it out.
1: Yeah, I'm down. S- super cool. Sign me up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Amund, uh, the Skywatcher, who joins the who potentially joins the Inquisition uh, after the Inquisitor takes down the hands of Korth. Uh, of course is an avar. uh Mafaroth was of the avar tribe, so he probably would have taken this background as well. But I mean, if you've met a character in the games or the books who said they are an avar, this is the background they took because yep. this is this is it. This is it. Uh, unless they were a mage, in which case they took the apostate background.
0: That is true. So I was just I was just about to mention yes. something about that because mm. uh
1: the background avar. I kind of feel
0: like there should be a background inclusion for avar mages because they're so distinct
1: especially after uh dragon age inquisition went by and we got to learn so much about avar mages
0: they're awesome they're really cool
1: they they probably deserve their own background they
0: deserve their own background or at least to be a part of the avar background like Mm -hmm. they need some sort of representation of their own because they're nifty
1: so brief history of the avar a little bit to go over um, and we're just, let's see, and there's not too much history, but there's a lot of now. So, we'll, we'll talk about what they were. They were originally part of the Alamari tribes of Ferelden, as we said, along with the Chasen and the Clane. They coexisted with the other Alamari tribes and fought against the Tevinter occupation as their Alamari allies did. They were, supposedly, the most successful at fighting the Tevinter Imperium's impressive forces, but Tevinter did manage to occupy Ferelden for about five centuries.
0: Jeez.
1: Uh, after uh, after the first blight, uh, and the Imperium was weakened and had to pull out of Ferelden, and Ferelden belonged to the Alamari again, they separated from the Alamari uh, after conflict and civil war with the other tribes. Uh, they took to the Frostbeck Mountains as their new home. Well, I think it was their home. It was kind of their home to begin with, but they really moved yeah, there. This is our home it and only our home. Their home. They have never looked back. Mm-hmm. They remained somewhat isolated for nearly a thousand years, developing their own culture, and in 650 Steel, they attempted to invade Ferelden. They united under a warlord named Balak, and burned the Banorn with their attacks, but were pushed out after two years of fighting. This battle caused one of the worst famines in Ferelden's history, so you can imagine how sour the relations between modern Fereldens and Avar would be.
0: Mm-hmm. Not
1: great. A lot of, let's see, well, the memories, of course, of the, of that, uh, violence is long gone, because it took place, what, 400 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just. So maybe
0: by now yeah. it's a bit more by of an now estrangement. It's, yeah,
1: it's an estrangement. Calcified into something less immediately malignant, but just kind of a general, those people are dangerous.
0: Yeah.
1: Don't trust them, mountain folk. Um, so that's what the Avar were. Let's talk about what they are, because what they are is super cool. It's true. Uh, the Avar remain one of the most fascinating cultures in Thetis by. My humble opinion, of course. Uh, if you've played the Jaws of Hacken DLC for Dragon Age Inquisition, you get to see it firsthand. They live an existence of subsistence and survival. Life in the Frostbacks is unforgiving, so the Avar have become strong to reflect that. Avar culture is one of survival and respect. Uh, naturally, as people who live in harsh mountain and terrain, they have to work hard to survive. Everyone in the Hold takes part in ensuring the survival of the Hold, whether that means hunting, fishing, harvesting, spiritual guidance, creation of tools, or battle. From spring to autumn, every Avar must do their part to prepare for the deadly frostback winters. The Avar have many methods of preserving food for the approaching winter seasons. They smoke their meat, they pickle their vegetables, uh, and apparently, uh, Avar and see Avar uh, fish brinefish are interesting. You can actually find the recipe in the second World of Thetis uh, World of Thetis book, and it's and it actually mentions you know keeping it in the barrel for a couple of months. Ooh. Like, like... Like, legit they, ferment your <laughs> fish. Legit ferment your fish. But they do that, of course, to keep things fresh because they need to collect a lot of food because they're not going to be able to collect any food in the in the winter. The um, yeah, Avar clans, uh, let's see, let's see, li- let's see, have, take very little time for activities that do not immediately contribute to the survival of their holds and the clans within it. So they're fairly pragmatic. Uh, the Avor certainly have their own pastimes and leisure. They like to drink mead, <laughs> uh, but these activities must wait for the day's work to be done.
0: You know, you live in an unforgiving environment when one of your hobbies is drinking. Like that's either that or right. just gets depressing. But at least if it's a cultural pastime, like <laughs> that's
1: right. That's a cold well, place you live. The Avor clans are yeah, usually quite close. Uh, They take meals together around the fires uh, at the middle in the dead of night. They teach each other their trades. They train each other for battle. Um, However, they're also known to raid lowlanders for supplies and often do so in winter. Their comfort in the bitter cold and their knowledge of the mountains allows them to attack the Fereldans in winter storms and slink back into familiar terrain before a counterattack is mounted. So it is generally uh, known to avoid the Ferelden frostbacks when winter comes. Mm Mm-hmm. Because the Avar know exactly what they're doing, and the Fereldans really don't, uh, or at least uh, nobody really knows what they're doing. Uh, what 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 to do? How to war in the winter like the Avar do? Yeah. Um, some Avars actually let's see are actually leave their holds to become mercenaries among the Lowlanders, uh, selling their skills as great warriors for coin, uh, and they can be traded. And that can be traded for supplies to bring back to the hold. This can be an easy in for PCs, but the background to be part of a larger picture adventure. Hint, hint. Um, and as the Fereldans have their dogs as companions in battle and hunting, the Avar train birds of prey, most often falcons. They use them as scouts in the rugged mountain terrain, and most Avar hunting or raiding parties will have one member who is trained as a falconer. Or falconer.
0: Falconer. Falconer.
1: Uh, one particular aspect of Avar culture is impermanence. and the Frostbacks, very little stays the same for long, and the same goes for the Avar. The Avar know it is wise to avoid becoming too attached to places, things, or even people when the elements are against them. While this is originally for survival, this aspect of their life has seeped into many facets of their culture. Avar marriages are also impermanent. Uh, They have a really wiggy way of getting married, and it's really interesting. Sounds cool. Yeah. Um, Before, let's see, when when two Avar wed, the wife sings a hymn to the gods of their choosing, while the uh, husband attempts to untie knots in a rope. The number of knots that the husband manages to untie before the song is done is the number of years they will be married. They may marry again if they choose, performing the same ritual, but there is no obligation to stay once the marriage is ended. Hmm. Um, and to actually secure a spouse, um, it is accepted that husbands have to kidnap them.
0: This is a very gendered uh,
1: <laughs> It is very deal. gendered, yeah. Um, we, brides can be taken against their will in some cases, or may make it known that they wish for a specific person to come get them. Um, but the husband is supposed to go to that person's hold. It's usually someone else, a different hold because they want to bring in mm-hmm. family. more new blood. New blood. Um, but they actually go to the person's hold, uh, and they make it publicly known that this is their intent, is to marry this person. Um, then they have to actually uh, sneak into the hold without being found, <laughs> And kidnap them and take them out of the hold without being caught. And that is, that's how you propose as an Avar. Kidnapping, you know,
0: for kids. As the potential kidnappee.
1: It's. Not a fan. It's very different. Um, Now, if you are caught, you can expect a severe beating, but nothing else. Uh, But if you are caught twice you may be fed to the clan's uh, spirit animal. Oh. Well. You know, that's fun, right? Odds
0: uh. ever in your favor, I suppose.
1: So, quite impermanent, as you could say. Uh, oaths are sacred to the Avar, but not ironclad. Um, even though oaths can be taken, uh, and promises can be made between uh, between clans or between specific cl- uh, clan members or even entire holds, Thanes may find... Holes in the tents where the cold winter can creep in to They end... can't see your air quotes. <laughs> no, but you can. Yes. Uh, but they use this, let's see, but they can, you know, find loopholes to end any oaths that are no longer considered necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, after a fashion, even death is seen as impermanent to the Avar, who believe that their gods or ancestors, even after death, can return to them with new bodies and the same name to continue offering guidance and wisdom. Cool. They have a kind of reincarnation, if you've, you know, proven yourself worthy. Uh, And speaking of prove yourself worthy, a very large aspect of uh, Avarian culture is respect. Uh, Some Avar claim that they come from a culture where you can have your skull split open for being rude, and it's mostly true. Uh, Avar spend much of their social lives proving themselves worthy of respect, not just to their fellow Avar, but also to their gods. Uh, though Avar do not keep their oaths forever, when they are broken, they do make amends through gifts to make sure that respect is maintained. Uh, the Avar have many tests of, abil- uh, tests of ability to settle matters between clan members, from straight out duels to tests of rock claiming. The victor is considered to be the correct party. Uh, An Avar with odd or outrageous claims may perform these rituals with handicaps such as weights or dull weapons, as they have more to prove.
0: Oh, so, uh. If something sounds ridiculous, yes. then yes. They... Then
1: that rock climbing challenge—they strap rocks to you while you try to climb, try to climb to the top of the hill before your opponent does. Um, Avar, with regards to respect, Avar usually have very little, have a little respect, have very little respect for non-Avar, calling them lowlanders and considering them to be soft. And while, but it is not impossible to earn the respect of an Avar. Uh, many lowlanders have done it, like True. these losers in here, in my campaign.
0: Yeah, we did it.
1: Once you have an Avar's respect, you have a powerful ally, potentially the allegiance of a hold, and that can be pretty exciting. Mm. Uh, it would be difficult to talk about Avarian life without talking about their gods and their beliefs. Uh, Avar truly believe that their gods aid them every day, for have they not survived this long with so numer- with numerous enemies? Uh, Avar see every strange rock formation, bird flock, or strange sound as a potential message from the gods, and they take these portents very seriously. Uh, Likewise, uh, spirits are seen as much more than simple apparitions. Mm -hmm. Spirits are referred to as gods among the Avar, and they are entities that must be wooed or mollified with gifts, displays of skill, or blood from their enemies. When things go wrong for an Avar, their first thought is, which of the gods have I angered? They never think to blame ill luck. The Avar don't really believe in chance. They believe that things happen for a reason. Well, obviously, I have angered the spirits if I did so poorly in this last battle, or I have not brought any food back home to the hold today. They will take steps to appease this god, along with fixing the damage as usual. The Avar take much guidance in their lives from the from the gods, and some go even so even go so far as to invoke them into their bodies for strength or advice.
0: And, uh, as you may guess, this means that the number of spirit mages and spirit warriors is mm. significantly higher among avar cultures than
1: mm. others. You're gonna find a lot of spirit healers. A lot of folks who are willing to take spirits into them. Nice and wiggy-like.
0: Oh, yeah. And, mm-hmm. I, I imagine that the spirit school is also...
1: Oh, yeah. Totally.
0: ...extremely common among the avar.
1: I'm sure the avar definitely appreciate that telekinetic weapons.
0: Okay, well, who doesn't?
1: Although I imagine many of them also take frost weapons. Because, I mean, why wouldn't you?
0: I feel like I would go with fire weapons. Why not Just...
1: both? And telekinetic why weapons. Why not Just both? Just pile them all up You
0: can put them all on there, and then you can, like, have, you know, you can, like, mm-hmm. freeze freeze things to keep them cold, and then you could use your sword to roast marshmallows. Mm-hmm. Yes. I went for food both <laughs> times. I don't know why that Orlesian
1: happened. guillemots. What we, call oh no. them what we call them in what we them in Thedas.
0: is that a real thing?
1: I, I think it's just French for marshmallow.
0: I okay, <laughs> man, Orle.
1: Orlay, yes. Um, of course they came from Orlay, because what of,
0: Absolutely, they? of course they came. But from Orlais.
1: um, even if a spirit is destroyed, the Avar have rituals that they perform in mourning for one year after the spirit's death. These rituals call out to this god or ancestor to return to the Avar. At the end of the year, a new god comes to them with the name of the old. This god is both the same and new.
0: Interesting. Does this? Do we have any? Uh, this is something I don't know.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, do we have any indication that this is actually a thing that successfully brings, like, resurrect spirits, or is this more of a ritual?
1: It's probably. Uh, what my guess is is that they probably perform rituals that attract spirits, and the spirit that feels most keen to taking up this mantle takes probably up mantle. takes up the mantle. I doubt that it's resurrecting spirits, but that would make a really cool plot hook. Wouldn't that be neat? Yeah. There
0: you go, guys.
1: There we go. There's
0: your first adventure hook.
1: Get it, write it down, play it. It's going to be cool. Maybe we'll write an adventure for it. Uh, Each hold has its own pantheon of gods, uh, from simple nature spirits to legendary heroes of the hold who have ascended to godhood. Uh, in addition to the countless little gods among nature and the holds of the Avar, there are several gods that are known and respected regardless of Holder history. Um, particularly these next big three. First being Korth, the Mountain Father. Korth is is like the big father deity amongst, mm-hmm. the, amongst the, the Avar. The Patriarch. Yeah. The Korth is the mountain that you are standing on. Everything that the mountain gives you was given to you by Korth. Uh, he is the heart of the Frostbacks. And he is where all these gifts come from. So you make thanks to... Uh, so if you bring back lots of food, you better make sure that you thank Korth. Uh, and if things didn't go well for you, you have probably angered Korth. You should probably make some amends. Um, they also worship the Lady of the Skies, who sees all things above Korth. Kind of a mother figure, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she has... But she uh, The birds, the falcons, the birds of prey are her messengers. Uh, and they and she and they use and they uh, and she has them deliver the Avars dead to the afterlife through sky burials, Oof. where they leave the body see, out for birds. Birds They to break eat. apart and dismember the body and leave them for the birds.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When then the, birds, see, the, the person then goes back to Korth the mountain father and their soul gets carried off to then see it gets carried off to the afterlife and yeah. sometimes the lady of the skies brings a soul back if they are particularly worthy aho oh. mm-hmm uh, Hakon winter's breath is the god of winter and war. Avar warriors make offerings to Hakon for the strength of the two bitter colds of frost and steel gaining strength in battle
0: I like that it's good wordplay
1: mm-hmm. Uh, Now, these two are are common, but maybe a little less so. Uh, But first one, of course, being one of my favorites. uh, Imhar the Clever Hmm. is a common god, but one who triumphs through trickery, a silver tongue, and deception. Uh, He is known to have fooled the demon and her minions into chasing him into a gorge, where his mighty laugh buried them in an avalanche.
0: Now, that is an interesting deity choice Mm -hmm. for a people that is so... Um, utilitarian sort of Utilitarian and and Focused on Very Yeah and battle. So And so much Focus on honor And uh, Strength mm-hmm. That uh, Having a deity A popular deity Even That Triumphs through Trickery Deception And You know Pretty words
1: mm-hmm. That
0: sounds Pretty soft So yeah. That's an interesting Choice for them to have mm-hmm.
1: I think I'm sure that There are plenty Who uh, Somebody who's Particularly Appreciates Imhar the Clever Would make an excellent ever rogue by the way uh because he's got a lot to offer you and got a lot to teach you that sometimes strong words and and sharp a- and sharp swords and axes aren't enough sometimes mm. you need to get you need to get clever
0: it's probably but, a really good god for those who want to uh, associate more with the outside world and yes. try to uh use diplomacy to get with him mm-hmm.
1: could you could use uh making a lot of offerings to uh Imhar the clever mhm Um, the great bear Sigfost is said to sit at Korth's feet and is so large that Korth once confused him with a mountain.
0: That's Uh, a big bear.
1: Avars may challenge him for wisdom and knowledge, but they do so at great risk as Sigfost is strong and does not give his knowledge easily. And apparently there are some mages from the circle who claim to have met Sigfost in the Fade before.
0: Hmm. Hmm.
1: da 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 very interesting, yeah. Uh, it can be great fun to design your Hold's particular pantheon. Uh, this can give your hold some flavor and uniqueness, as most holds are independent of each other's traditions. Work with your GM and give your hold some extra personality, especially if a campaign's going to take you there.
0: Absolutely.
1: Because that can be a lot of fun.
0: Nothing like building your own pantheon.
1: Yeah, do it. It's good time. Uh, speaking of, uh, let's see, to speaking with the gods... We would be remiss if we didn't talk about Avar Mages, because mm-hmm. they are very unique.
0: They're super cool, like oh, we yeah. said.
1: Uh, if you want to be an Avar Mage, right now the best one is probably the Apostate, but maybe somebody, we'll fix that.
0: Yeah, maybe we will, and if one of you wants to uh, write up an Avar Mage mm-hmm.
1: background... We'll put it in the distant verses. Yeah,
0: we absolutely will.
1: Heck yeah. Uh, Avar Mages have a special place in Avar Holds, and are regarded uh, as people with great gifts as opposed to people who are burdened with this with the chains of magic and it's the a nice change the, of pace. the danger of demon possession because the because the spirits the gods are known are known to the people of the, uh, of the avar they understand that while they're not you know malicious they are kind of capricious and some of them creating people to be or entities to be sort of like appeased mm-hmm. and uh, and to avoid their wrath as opposed to terrifying things here to tempt you uh, the mages, uh, mages are closer to the spirits because, of course, they have access to the magic and the power of the fate, and thereby they are closer to the gods of the Avar. Uh, they become augurs who call upon the spirits for advice. Augurs are the one, uh, the one mage in the hold who interprets the signs of the gods and brings the wisdom of the local gods to the Avar people. They also speak to the local gods to learn how they may appease them. They even welcome spirits into their own bodies to directly commune with them.
0: Sure, the tantrum, but just love them. Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. The the Avar have rituals that would make the Chantry shudder. Uh, thankfully, the Avar have designed their rituals to push spirits out as surely as they invite them in. Which you'd think would be extremely valuable knowledge to the Chantry. Or, dangerous knowledge because it means that we know the mages can police themselves. Gas! Gasp! Gasp. Uh, <laughs> new mages... <laughs> Interesting, a lot of new mages are taught uh, to allow spirits in early, and these spirits help teach the mage how to control their powers. Now, you're not going to find a lot of teachers like that. That's pretty cool. Yeah,
0: it's a pretty neat way to do it. It's a bit dangerous. It is,
1: correct. Uh, These spirits will also help keep weak mages from hurting anyone, as the gods around the mage watch them and their bound spirit to ensure neither become corrupted and become a true abomination. If they do become a true abomination, if either of them becomes corrupted or the the gods or the augurs see them as somebody who could eventually harm the hold, one day they simply die in their sleep. Supposedly. I imagine a few of them still get away.
0: Yeah. Imagine it's not exactly dying in your sleep. Right.
1: Probably
0: a -hmm. little bit less peaceful.
1: Probably. But good for the hold, you know. Uh, when the training period is done, these Avar mages must then perform a difficult ritual that releases the spirit, and they can learn to become true augurs, and succeed the augur. Those who do not separate from their gods are exiled to pre- are exiled to protect the hold. Each hold has only one augur, who works directly with the hold's thane on, matter- on matters spiritual, becoming the liaison between the Avar and their gods. Kind of like how there's one keeper uh, mm-hmm. among the Dalish, but then they keep one, maybe two apprentices. Mm-hmm. Although, from what I saw in the Jaws of Hacken DLC, it seems like there are a couple of apprentices that an auger might take on. Um, I don't know if they, when they become fully-fledged mages in the eyes of the auger, if they go to different holds to become augers, but I could totally it see seems it. seems likely. It seems likely.
0: I mean, uh, also, with Unforgiving Winters and such a harsh life as they lead, it's probably good to have a couple of backups.
1: Oh, definitely. Yeah. Nothing is, nothing is forever in the Frostbacks. Even an experienced augur could be claimed by the cold or by a, by like a red lion or something. Or even a demon. Or even a demon. Maybe it one happens. spirit comes in that they just can't get rid of. So, to get you folks started on telling some stories about the Avar, we have a couple plot hooks in mind, so we're going to share them with you. Mm-hmm. Um, an Avar raiding party finds the PCs in the dead of the Ferelden Winter, intent on taking their supplies... With their likely guerrilla, war t- guerrilla tactics and immunity to the cold, can the PCs fend them off before they have their weapons or even their lives taken from them? Perhaps the PCs are defeated, but captured and brought back to an Avar hold. The PCs are told by the Thane that they will be released if they perform certain tasks for the hold, perhaps situations that the Avar have little experience with. Do the PCs go along and perform the tasks, or do they attempt an escape?
0: Ooh. What a... What a hook.
1: What a chilling adventure. No. So,
0: another one, uh-huh. I, disregarding your pun entirely. An
1: Avar approaches the PCs with a heartfelt request. They wish to see their lost sibling. With an old ritual passed down through the Avar's hold, they intend to begin a long, a year-long calling to their sibling to join them again. They have need of several specific herbs and magical substances that would require some theft from Chantry storehouses, and the mm. specifics of this ritual would make more conservative Andrastians very uncomfortable. The PCs may gain an ally in this hold, or even the respect of the Avar in that hold, if they help, but is becoming a thief of potent magical items from a Chantry establishment worth it? Cha. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Man.
1: Do it. Rebel against the machine. That'd be great. Uh, and the last one that we have here, an Avar approaches one of the PCs and makes it known that they wish to marry them. They oh. inform the PC that <laughs> they will make an attempt to kidnap them, as brother holds custom, and be taken back to their hold as their new spouse. The PC may reject the offer, but even if they don't, The Avar insists that they and their companions resist their kidnapping attempt. Do the PCs go along with the strange request, or do they spurn them entirely?
0: Uh, Talk to your player before setting this one up. Uh Make sure that they're down for all of this.
1: It could be good to have maybe uh, an Avar NPC who is established, so that you can kind of get a feeling as to whether or not this plot hook would work at all, or if it would make your PCs uncomfortable.
0: Just just talk to your players before you do this one. But yes. boy could this be entertaining.
1: <laughs> I'm going especially, to kidnap you. You must try to resist me.
0: I mean, especially if they're <laughs> terrible at kidnapping, but your your PC really wants to be kidnapped. I'm
1: oh, oh, like, so, cute. so
0: maybe half of the party has to like go around surreptitiously and try to find ways to help him without him knowing that they're helping oh, man, him. This sounds great. I really want someone to run this.
1: <laughs> that sounds fantastic. This sounds adorable. Oh man. Um, and as a special note, uh, the adventure "Where Eagles Lair" in the Blood and Ferelden book heavily features the Avar, and we recommend it to get Avar into your campaign. We ran yeah. it; it's it really good cool. Stuff. It's got some good stuff. It's got some investigation. Get some uh, inter. Well, so you get some inter. Uh, uh, I guess conflict between holds and uh, differences of opinion, even from the Avar perspective, and you get to meet some really cool people and fight a bunch of darkspawn.
0: Who doesn't love fighting a bunch Who of dark? Who
1: doesn't love just fighting lots of spawn? It's a good time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So we recommend that. Uh, and I think that's all we've got for you today.
0: I think that's it. I think we have uh, said as much about the Avar as... Mm-hmm. Not really, as can be said. They're such a cool, cool group.
1: We definitely recommend... We've only, like, touched on the tip of the iceberg about the avar. There's a lot more, like, little bits of trivia. We definitely recommend you go and take a look at them because your campaign is lacking if you do not have some avar in it.
0: I guess you could say there's a mountain of other data about... Yeah, we did it! Calling it back.
1: Run it around! Thanks for listening to the Wonders of Fatis so Podcast. Good at we are so good at podcasting! This is Ren wishing <laughs> lots of sixes on the Dragon Dog. <laughs> this is
0: This is Jessica wishing you good heels and happy feels.
1: Thanks for listening to the Wonders of Fatis podcast. We're so, so good at this.